Support for Criminal comes from Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who switch to Progressive save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hi, it's Phoebe. Today we're bringing you an update on one of our most popular episodes. It's also one of our favorites. We released this episode in the very early days of making the show, back when we recorded everything inside a closet. I'd be in there, in the dark, with a blanket over my head, trying to balance a script and a light and a microphone. And so the show sounds a little different than it does now. Here it is. Episode 15, He's Neutral. You know, we've had muggings in this neighborhood. You know, we've had muggings and, you know, aggressive behavior, aggravated assaults, and all kinds of things over the years here. You know, so it is an issue for lots of people. There's maybe like five or six years ago, you know, the community group gave everybody whistles in case somebody, especially women or something, were accosted or uh, somebody was following them. They just have to blow their whistle and alert other people that something was up, you know. This is Dan Stevenson. He and his wife, Lou, have lived in Oakland, California for 40 years. They live in a two-story purple Victorian in a neighborhood called Eastlake. He says that crime's been an issue there for as long as he can remember. But when you live in a city long enough, you just learn to deal with it. You know, a couple of times some guys tried to get my wallet and just city stuff that, that, you know, uh, once you live in a city long enough, you've got to at least be accosted a couple of times or you're not there. Once you know everybody's position, you know, as you go outside, you know who they are and where they are and what they do. It's no, there was no hassle. So once you knew that, once you knew that the drug dealer was a drug dealer, you just went about your business and he did his business and you did yours. That's correct. Yeah. And you just stayed out of each other's way. Right. I mean, I wouldn't, um, like, I wouldn't call the police. Why? (laughs) Well, uh, well, first, first of all, I don't trust the police. I probably trust a drug dealer more than I trust the cop. So that's part of it. Part of it has to do with um, the times I have called the police. They just don't seem to be able to come in and do it in a, a commonsensical way. They, they have to come in like, like an army or something over somebody selling drugs. or what. I, I don't really care about that. It's one thing not to call the cops when you suspect a guy down the block might be selling drugs. 
But it's another thing when there's a man right outside your bedroom window at 3 a.m. This is what happened to Dan and Lou about five years ago. My wife was here and we, we went to bed. About 3 a.m., she nudges me and says, there's somebody on the deck. Dan says he actually built a special deck to keep random people from wandering up there. There are no stairs. You have to climb partly up a tree and then lift yourself up over the railing. So I get up and I look out, and <laughs> sure enough, there's a guy on the deck. And so I yell through the door and tell him to you know, get off the, the, the fucking deck. And, and he kind of is totally gone. I mean, it, the, the exchange we had was uh, like, this guy was strung out on something big time. And he was just out to lunch. So my wife wanted me to call the police, but I thought if I call the police, they're gonna come, this guy's just, you know, screwed up. It's not a, he's of no danger that I could see. He didn't have any weapons or anything. He's just out of it. So we started to talk. It took Dan 45 minutes, but he talked the guy down. Nobody got hurt. If he had gone the official route with the cops, he says it would have been a real pain. And then I'd have been up for another two hours, you know, filling out reports with him. By, you know, within 45 minutes, I was back asleep and it was all good. But even this guy, the most patient, live-and-let-live guy in the neighborhood, eventually hit his limit. And when he got fed up, he did something desperate. Something that makes absolutely no sense to anyone. Maybe least of all to Dan himself. I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal. What wound up pushing Dan over the edge wasn't drug dealers or sex workers. It was garbage, a gigantic pile of garbage. The city put in a traffic diverter across the street from their house. It's about 500 feet from their front door. A concrete divide with a space in the middle with trees, and and nobody took care of it. Nobody took care of it, and so it became a de facto garbage dump. People that were moving decided that that would be a place to move everything they didn't want to take with them. So the stack could be like six, eight feet high sometimes with dressers and mattresses and garbage and bags of crap and clothing. I mean, it's just intense. And it's been a big problem with Oakland for years all over the place. You know, somebody will dump whatever they have in, in your front yard if you're not careful. Dan says he'd watch trucks pull up at night and unload mountains of furniture and garbage. And he called the city and called and called and called. So you would wake up in the morning sometimes to like eight feet, to like an eight-foot pile of crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if, if, if the city didn't come fast enough, it could get higher. Because once you have, it's like a magnet. Once you've got a stack of stuff, other people think, oh, there's an idea. And they keep stacking it, you know. So what did you decide to do about it? Well, that was, <laughs> that uh, is a good question. Uh, <laughs> um, Lou and I uh, discussed this for quite some time, and we came up with the idea of a Buddha, to put a Buddha there. Are you Buddhist? No, we have nothing to do with Buddhism at all. Uh, but but you, you, you figured if there's one thing that might help here, it's, it's Buddha. Well, yeah, because he's, um, he, he's neutral. I mean, uh, you know, if, if, 
if we threw Christ up there, uh, he's controversial. Everybody's got a deal about him. Um, but Buddha, nobody seems to be that perturbed in general about a Buddha. So Dan and Lou had made up their minds, and it turns out they had a lot of options. You know, we looked at the different ones, and, and she picked out one that she liked the face, because, you know, they come out of a concrete cast. So some of them look more mellow than others. Lou went off to Ace Hardware and picked one out. Which, you know, she brought home, and I liked him. You know, he looked cool to me. And then he sat in the basement for about three or four months, because I couldn't figure out a way to put him over there without having him stolen or ruined. And those things would have really pissed me off. So uh, finally I came up with a plan and I uh, drilled into him and put uh, epoxy rebar into his body and I fixed the Buddha so he'd be looking at, at our house. In fact, looking through the window where I could look at him. So when I'd get up in the morning and have my coffee, I could look over and see how he was doing. Wait, are you allowed to do this? It feels like this is, like, <laughs> this is breaking some sort of city code. Oh, <laughs> Uh, allowed. Uh, that's another thing. Uh, it's best not to ask before you do things because it's always no. You know, you kind of just do it and um, see what happens. Dan didn't tell his neighbors about his plan. He dragged some extension cords from his house and used a drill to affix the Buddha to a slab of concrete. And that was it. And there he was. It's like a surprise. And he just sat there. How long before something happened? It was probably about you know, maybe four months or something of him just sitting there being concrete. But one morning I wake up and look over and Buddha's white. Somebody's come and painted a, a soft white. This was someone had kind of carefully done this on purpose. Oh, very carefully. I mean, there's no like paint around him or anything. I mean, it's strictly whoever did it uh, took care in painting. And, you know, I thought that's interesting. And then after that, you know, he'd have an orange, and pretty soon two oranges, and maybe a pear. Just as mysteriously as Dan had installed the statue, people began leaving little gifts, oranges or coins. One day he said he came home from work and there was a big stack of pears, and he had no idea where they were coming from or what they represented. I assume now, because of what has happened, that the Vietnamese community uh, decided that, you know, he needs to be cared for. And from there, it just grew to where it is today, which is a total shrine. Yeah, will you describe what the Buddha looks like right now? Well, the Buddha now is, is like, upgraded considerably. I mean, he's, he's gold now. His eyes are painted in, and he just, you know, he's got a gold-draped clothing, and he, he's just... Really top drawer, cool looking Buddha. I mean, he's he's come a long ways in terms of his dress. Um, now he he sits on the kind of a a rock pedestal kind of thing that's not a granite or something. And then he is he has a house that would you know you could probably live in if you were a single person and small. The the, the house is now around Buddha, so Buddha's protected from. The rain and such? Oh, yeah. And so if you wanted to pray there, which they do constantly, you just slip inside the little building and you kneel down and, and Buddha's there. And, and he's got 
other friends of Buddha's, you know, and, and there's a big Kuan Yin outside, which is, you know, the goddess of mercy. But what what do you what do you mean when they come to pray? Who who's coming there? Do people come there often? Yeah, every uh, every morning at seven a.m. they pray, and they have this little clacker thing. They have a little it's like a little drum. It goes. Clack, 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 clack. And, and sometimes they'll set up tables and uh, have a feast, you know. And they put out food and all these people come and, and they pray and they go through that. And um, then they eat and they have a kind of a community. Do you ever go out and introduce yourself? Oh, they, they know who I am. So they know that they, you, um, they know that you are the man who brought the Buddha <laughs> from Ace Hardware in 2009. And there lies the problem. <laughs> yes, because at every feast day, they bring over a stack of food uh, and fruit and wine and a bottle of whiskey one time. And, I mean, just presents thank you. for... <laughs> yes, yeah. And I keep telling them... Uh, thanks a lot but there's only like Lou and I and we can't eat all this stuff and uh, um, but these aren't these aren't like your neighbors bringing over food these are people who are coming to visit Buddha from other neighborhoods and appreciating what you started yes and they all bow and and none of them speak English so I bow and we all bow <laughs> it's, it's it's embarrassing kind of for me because I don't even know what they're, they're thinking, you know. But I keep trying to tell them that it's their Buddha and good luck with him and, and uh, adios. But they don't kind of go for that, you know. How many, pe- how many people are coming? How many people are coming on a daily basis, would you say, to see the Buddha? Oh, at least 70. A day? A, a day, yeah. And then there's also, the, <laughs> there's also the tourist thing. You know, they'll knock on my door. And they're from Minneapolis, and somebody on Facebook posted something. <laughs> so, you know, they want to take my picture with them in front of the Buddha. It's just, for, for me, you know, as cynical as I am, it, this is like, what is happening? Remember, Dan and Lou put the Buddha up as a sort of desperate shot in the dark, a truly random attempt to curtail dumping in crime. And he accidentally created a sacred place for members of Oakland's Vietnamese Buddhist community. But that's not the end of the story. Oh, the crime has pretty much uh, disappeared in, in, in a sense. I, um, the, drug, the drug dealing definitely is gone. And so is the prostitution. I mean, there's none, zero, uh, within you know, a, you know, quite a distance from our area now. But it's a slow process that I didn't really notice it happening and, and didn't even think of it in those terms until I read it in the paper. In September, a reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle did a story on Dan and the Buddha and asked the Oakland Police Department for the updated crime statistics for the neighborhood. Here's what he wrote. Since 2012, when worshippers began showing up for daily prayers, overall year-to-date crime has dropped by 82%. I mean, I think we all have some respect for religious symbols, whether it's the religion that we ascribe to, whether we ascribe to a religion at all. I mean, there's something rather sacred about things like this. Well, I, I, I agree. Uh, and I don't know if it's superstition or whether Buddha says don't fuck with this or what. I have no idea. But it works. <laughs> 
So you're right. I think people do have a feeling of either respect or fear. I don't know. I guess it doesn't matter. <laughs> Crime is down 82%. I guess it doesn't. <laughs> I spoke with Dan Stevenson in 2015. In the past four years, things have only gotten bigger at the Buddha. It's all thanks to one Vietnamese family. Here's Vina Vo and her husband with some translation help from their son, Cook Vo. Every day, morning, 7 o'clock, every day, for two, one day, two times. 7 o'clock and 4 o'clock. 6 o'clock, I go home every day. I make over here. I make my husband make over here. Uh, my dad says, all thanks to Dan here, uh, we, can have, we can have a peaceful shrine here and make the neighbors calm down a little bit so we can have a peaceful mindness and tranquility. Vina says some mornings she arrives to find that other people have brought new incense and fresh flowers. She says it's a peaceful place. If you'd like to visit yourself, it's easy to find these days. The Buddha is on Google Maps. Just search for the Buddha of Oakland. It even has reviews. One says, best Buddha. This is beyond my wildest thought pattern. I just couldn't, I wouldn't even fathom it at that time. We called Dan last week to see what was new. It's insane in terms of what has happened to a concrete garden Buddha, which were, you know, was just on the shelf with a whole bunch of other Buddhas all just sitting there in the, in the nursery, you know. And different things have happened along the way, you know, like cars will miss the corner or something and hit something or, or you know, uh, there's been some vandalism over the years, but every time anything happens, the re- response is they make it bigger. Uh, it's just, you know, so it's, uh, it used to be just a small one little building and then it's two and then somebody tried to, they broke a statue or something. So then it's three and then four. And then there's a little shed, I guess you'd call it a shed, but a little side building where I understand that the, the guy in that building is the god of war or god of protection or god of somebody that um, has done a pretty good job since they put him in to keep things calm. Do you ever sit back and think to yourself, well, that was really something. That was quite an idea I had. Well, it, Lou and I had the idea. Neither one of us expected much of anything except maybe it would shift the garbage, and it did that. But then this has been outrageous, yeah. Do you still have anybody knocking on your door, coming and saying hi, or are you the guy, are you the famous Dan who put up the Buddha? <laughs> I, I pretty much get that, uh, not a whole lot, but more than uh, I would expect at this point in time. And also people stopping me on the streets, somehow they've, you know, not even close to my house, and they have a reference point. Or somebody will, in some business uh, someplace, will recognize me. Um, I don't even know where they find the information out, to tell you the truth, or how they figure it's me, but they do. And it's, um, it's I guess it's nice. It's 
to me, I, you know, I put the boot in and I'm done. You know, the rest of this is, is somebody else's work, you know? So <laughs> I, I helped start it, you know, and, um, you know, and Lou and I had lots of discussions before, you know, we did it because she's much more positive than I am. So, um, I, I always look at how they're going to wreck it as opposed to the possibilities. And she's much more of a possibility person. You know, she was right. <laughs> she definitely, well, she's <laughs> right on a lot of things. Uh, not, not just the Buddha. Uh, we spend a lot of time talking uh, spirituality and, and the greater things. And she's pretty much on the mark on most of it, way ahead of me. You know, just, you know, way ahead of me. Uh, she's much more positive. You know, this is one of our, we have 119 episodes, uh -huh. and this is one of our most popular episodes ever. Wow. <laughs> Why do you think this story gets to people? <laughs> well, uh, I would say that it's positive. You know, it's a, it's a positive story of, you know, actually hope. Uh, I mean, it truly blows my mind that that it exists in the world that we live in. It's just like, it's almost counter to everything that I hear constantly. But it's it's not really, because it's happening everywhere. It's just that um, we only hear the bad parts most of the time. So it's just a kind of a giving thing. Uh, you know, the, the people that are involved with it are, I mean, they give, it's a giving, you know, of their beliefs and their stuff. Um, and people that come just respect that. I mean, we now have, you know, uh, certain, I'm, I haven't kept track of it, but there's tour buses now that come to visit, you know, <laughs> and here's this huge bus coming, trying to get through the uh, streets, you know, they're rather smallish in terms of buses, uh, to drop people off uh, to take photos and stuff. It's it's impressive. I, I, I never realized how, something like this could do be this you know i mean it it certainly uh inspires people to to better things i think anything else going on in your life <laughs> too much to mention i keep busy all the time Thanks to Progressive for their support. While you're listening to the show, maybe you're also doing something else. Driving, dishes, folding laundry. I listen when I go on walks. If you're not currently driving a car, you could also be getting an auto quote from Progressive Insurance. Save money right now from your phone. Drivers who switch to Progressive save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Discounts for having multiple vehicles on your policy, being a homeowner, and more. Progressive will be with you 24 7, 365 days a year, so you're protected no matter what. You can get a quote for your car insurance at progressive.com to join over the 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12 month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Support for Criminal comes from Factor. 
After a long day at work, sometimes the most convenient dinner option is ordering takeout. But if you make a habit of it, it can get pricey. Factor offers restaurant-quality, ready-to-eat meals delivered right to your doorstep. Factor's meals are both nutritious and tasty, and you can choose from more than 35 different options weekly. They have a variety of meal types to fit your needs, too, like keto, calorie-smart, vegan and veggie, and more, with plenty of delicious add-ons also. I've tried Factor meals myself. Lately, I've enjoyed their shredded chicken taco bowl and Thai-roasted vegetable green curry. You can get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. You can also pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Head to factormeals.com slash Phoebe50 and use code Phoebe50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next box. That's code Phoebe50 at factormeals.com slash Phoebe50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. My name is Kurt Colstead, and I am the digital director and a producer at 99% Invisible. And I, I work on episodes and articles and other things for this show, which is all about design and built environments. Kurt says Dan's Buddha can be viewed through the lens of a design concept known as hostile architecture. Hostile architecture is one facet of efforts to, quote, design out crime change something about public space in order to deter unwanted behavior. A few years ago, a community group in Hamburg, Germany, got fed up with the constant smell of urine in their neighborhood, a neighborhood packed with nightclubs. And they decided to fight back with a special kind of paint. This paint is designed to be used on boats and will not absorb liquid. If it won't absorb liquid, they thought, Maybe it will repel urine. They were right. When someone walked out of a nightclub and attempted to relieve themselves on a wall, their urine, quote, bounced back onto them. Other cities have followed suit. Cities implement design changes like spikes on windowsills to prevent people from sitting down. Armrests on benches aren't just to give us a place to rest our elbows. They also prevent people from lying down. Hostile architecture is often criticized for being less than subtle in its attempt to drive away a city's homeless population. While cities come in and try to alter the public's behavior from the top down, often in aggressive ways, there are also plenty of examples of citizens stepping in, like Dan Stevenson with his Buddha implementing changes from the bottom up, changes that may or may not be legal. Kurt says there are a lot of playful examples of this. So parklets are essentially public parking spaces converted into little parks. The idea got really big after this group called Rebar in San Francisco made a parklet, and it went really viral online. And essentially all they did was they rolled out some sod, and they put some furniture out on the grass, and they fed the meter, and then they just waited to see what would happen. And some people stopped by and actually used the parklet. And as they tell the story... Uh, a traffic cop came by, too, and was saying, hey, you know, I'm going to have to write you a ticket. And they said, no, we've legally rented this spot. And they kind of got him to go away. Um, so so through this kind of loophole, they, they legally occupy this space by paying the rent, paying the meter, uh, which is just a different way to think about this kind of public space, right? We think about it as a space for cars. They thought about it as a space for a park. It's not really what it was 
what the law was designed to accommodate, and yet they're making the law work for them and work for the public. But there are a lot of things out there that kind of skirt this line of legal or illegal. Uh, and I was thinking, you know, like about like fire hydrants. Right. Yeah. I mean, fire hydrants are kind of this classic thing where you, you've seen, everybody's seen scenes of movies where kids are playing in the street and the fire hydrants, you know, pouring water and everybody's having fun. And, you know, it's one of those things we all know, if we think about it, that's that's probably technically illegal. And in fact, it usually is. You can get fines for doing that. But there are also cases where, you know, a f- the firefighters will actually come along and, like, help people open up the hydrants. So it kind of goes back and forth. And it, and it goes way back, too. So there was this heat wave in the late 1800s in New York City where the city just said, you know what, we're going to open up the hydrants. We're going to distribute ice. Uh, we're going to basically help cool down the city and uh, and keep people safe and happy. And, you know, all this back and forth, is it legal, is it illegal? Eventually, New York came up with this kind of novel compromise where they created these caps that control the flow of water. It makes it so it's safer to use, it wastes less water, but it still lets people crack open these hydrants. So it's this kind of acceptance by the city that, you know, people are going to do this. Let's maybe try to find a way that they can do it more safely and not just kind of recklessly like it's been done in the past. In Chicago, when I grew up, it would get really hot in the summers and there would be fire hydrants that would be opened. And I remember very clearly being a really little girl and it's really powerful, the water. I mean, this is, it's too much. It's almost too powerful, the the force of the water coming out of this thing for like a seven-year-old girl to be playing in. Um, But there was something about it that the city, that the firefighters, that the police were acknowledging, hey, we just got to get through today because it's 115. So let's bend these rules. Let's all just come together. And it felt really nice. Yeah. And I think think that is part of the appeal. It's like it breaks down these barriers. Like we think, you know, oh, city infrastructure is for city stuff and we're not allowed to touch that. And these people are here to enforce laws and put out fires. But yeah, that's kind of beautiful, you know, when those when those barriers break down and and we realize now the city is is all of ours. And like, here's a, a novel way or a different way to to put its infrastructure to use. What are other examples of people playing with their environment? I mean, one of the one of the types that I'm particularly fascinated by is sort of it's generally known as guerrilla gardening. And this idea, it goes back to the 70s and it sort of started with people taking over abandoned lots in New York and turning them into community gardens. And, it, you know, it started out illegal. And some of those gardens have since become legal. So. There's this group in San Francisco that call themselves the Gorilla Grafters. And their approach to guerrilla gardening is sort of different from most. Instead of, you know, trying to plant new things or take over abandoned spaces, they're actively grafting fruit-bearing branches onto non-fruit-bearing trees. So essentially, they're turning these, uh, these ornamental trees into fruit-bearing trees in the city and, you know, at first you'd think, hey, who, who would have a problem with that, right? I mean, it's <laughs> they're, they're creating food where there was no food before, and that's kind of their take on it. Um, but it turns out that, that those trees are ornamental for a reason. The city doesn't want them attracting animals. They don't want to, like, have these fruits falling and making messes that the city then has to clean up. 
And so these grafters end up having to work kind of under the radar. Wait, so just so just tell me exactly what they're doing, this guerrilla gardening. They're putting like an apple branch on like a maple tree? I did not really understand that you could do this. But essentially, you can make a little cut into an existing tree and attach a little scion, like a living branch, and then it heals in place and becomes part of that existing tree. So you don't convert the entire tree into a fruit-bearing tree, but you add a fruit-bearing branch to that tree. And then over time, you know, these start producing fruit. And the idea is that, you know, anybody can walk up and just kind of say, oh, there's an apple on this tree. I could eat that. And it's subtle. It's a subtle intervention. And probably nobody would be the wiser until suddenly there was fruit all along the block. These are all examples, Dan and his Buddha included, of people kind of thinking outside the box. Yes. And I think that's that's the most interesting thing about all of this, right? Like, we we have a way that we think of cities. We think of cities as being planned things where if you want to get something to change, maybe you talk to a city council. But what these kinds of projects show is that there are a lot of opportunities to try, you know, what Dan Stevenson did. And you could say, I'm just going to go get this Buddha and stick it to the ground and see what happens. You know, ask for forgiveness, not permission. And what I find really fascinating about the Dan Stevenson example is that people love it too, right? People come and care for it and love it and... And it's become part of the community that, you know, Buddhists and non-Buddhists alike seem to really appreciate. You, you, you just went back there. You just saw it. You were just there last night. I was. And it's amazing. I mean, at night you can see it from blocks away. I mean, there are these blinking lights, these sort of spiraling blinking lights. Um, when you get close, you can really smell the incense. And... There are all these different Buddhas. Some are white and some are painted and they're different sizes, different materials. And the original Buddha isn't actually the central Buddha. He's sort of sitting off to one side in this smaller hut. Um, So he kind of sparked this thing, but he's not at the heart of it anymore. It's just been taken over and grown. And, you know, behind the main building, there, there are a couple of brooms, which I assume, you know, is part of the keeping the area clean effort. So it is doing what Dan Stevenson wanted it to. It's, it's getting people invested and keeping the area clean. But it's also taken out a life of its own. And what's really crazy, I, I just found this last night. If you turn the corner, just, just another block and a half away from this shrine is another one. And it's like a smaller version of the same thing, but it's growing. And I could just imagine in like five or ten years, these could just be all over the neighborhood, right? So I don't know. I, I think it's, you know, th- what started with this one Buddha has become something much, much bigger. Criminal is created by Lauren Spohr and me. Nadia Wilson is our senior producer. Susanna Robertson is our assistant producer. Audio mix by Michael Raphael. Special thanks to Kurt Kolstad at 99% Invisible, Eric Menel, Alex Blair, and Kobe McDonald. Julian Alexander makes original illustrations for each episode of Criminal. You can see them at thisiscriminal.com. We're on Facebook and Twitter at Criminal Show. Criminal is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. We're a proud member of Radiotopia from PRX, 
a collection of the best podcasts around. I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal. Thanks to Progressive for their support. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who switch to Progressive save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations.